Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll, and it's back to the rock and roll with one of the greatest guitarists in the world today. And he's going to be on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rage at C Part De, leaving in just about 10 days or so. Uh, it's going to be a great time. We are uh, uh, talking about Jared James Nichols. He's toured with Fozzy uh, in Canada uh, last year. He toured with Fozzy uh, at the Unleashed in the West tour a few months ago. Great guy, great rock and roll band, great guitar player. He's making his talk as Jericho debut, and you're going to find out why everybody from Zach Wilde to John Five to Leonard Skinner loves some Jared James. Jared talks about how he got playing guitar, why he prefers to play without a pick. Super original there. The big break that Skinner gave him, what it was like growing up in the small Wisconsin town where the late, great Stevie Ray Vaughan played his last show and ultimately died uh, just miles from where Jared grew up. That's kind of a little bit of a reincarnation type thing. But like I said, Jared's doing uh, shows on the cruise, and then he's taking his power trio blues rock band on the road in Europe. His European tour launches February 25th in the U.K., all the dates and ticket information are on his Facebook page. Just search Jared James Nichols. All right, here we go. JJN right here on TIJ starting now. All right, so uh, we are currently on tour. We're in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and uh, had a couple awesome tours with Jared James Nichols and his band of merry men. <laughs> and... Uh, it's cool to see how much of a buzz you have going even since we toured Canada in December. Yeah. You just keep going and going and going. It's cool for me. I mean, shoot, to be back out with you guys, you know, this is the thing for us. And if anyone doesn't know, I front a three-piece blues rock power trio. We've been touring since we met. Right. We've been on the road. And uh, almost a year later now, hooking back up. It's amazing. It's been nonstop for you. Like, you haven't... Nonstop, Not dude. been on tour. I, uh, since, since we met and since we hooked up, uh, I released a guitar with Gibson and Epiphone. I released an amp with Blackstar and I did basically uh, about eight weeks in the States. And then I went over to Europe and I did like a hundred days in Europe. It was insane. In a row? Yeah. You did three months in Europe? We went, How was that for you? It was insane. I was yeah. ready to come home though. Yeah. Uh, we went all the way to like Egypt, Turkey, Dubai. Wow. Yeah. It seems like almost like, um, and I'm sure you'll tell me the whole tale, but like you're an overnight sensation. Ugh. Like to get all of those places in such a short period of time. Because mm -hmm. I only heard about you a few years ago yeah. when you toured with Saxon and UFO. Yes. Because you see, you know, we, we've toured with Saxon. We always enjoy with those guys. So when I see them coming over, I always check out who they're out with. Yep. And I'd never heard of your name before. Mm -hmm. Who is this guy? So you Google it. And you look exactly the same, same outfit. <laughs> I'm wearing the same clothes, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that was only a few years ago, and that's the first that I'd ever really heard of you. Yes. Well, I, I kind of hit a really good stride. So, so check this out. We did what everyone did, right? We started in the van, the three of us, booking our own shows. We started up the West Coast, right? Because we were living in LA. And we'd say, okay, right, we need to do a show in LA. We'd do San Francisco. We'd go to Portland, Seattle. And we would book them on our own if they worked or not. You know, that was a whole other story. But How do you book your own shows? Just start cold calling venues. <laughs> really? You know, bars, bars that have music. And uh, so the, the lucky break we got was I got us a gig at Sturgis. And, right, the and we, bike we did, rally. Yeah, we did the rally, but we were playing in the parking lot. So we were playing in the parking lot. And when we started our set, no one was there. You know, like bikes would rip by. And we played for like four hours. So this parking lot gig, Skinnerd was playing the same day. And their tour manager was like, happened to be going by in a golf cart. And he saw us playing. And he heard us jamming. And next thing you know, I see Ricky Medlock from Skinnerd, And then Gary Rosington. And we connected. And then that night on the main stage, those guys were all jamming. We were hanging out. And I was like, man, this is so cool. And that guy, about three weeks later, hit me up. We, we connected with numbers. And he goes, hey, man, we're doing some shows in Europe. Maybe you should open them. Wow, for Skinner. For Skinner. Yeah. So, That's crazy. So we'd been like trudging along, doing our thing. And this would have been in 2015. And before I knew it, we booked a, a European tour with four shows with Leonard Skinner. Wow. Arenas. And uh, I was like, oh man, what is happening, right? It was, it was amazing. So we did these four shows and on the last show we were in Germany in Ludwigsburg 
And they're like, man, come jam with us. So I jammed Sweet Home Alabama. There was like 17,000 people. And I was like, I just went from playing in the parking lot at Sturgis, yeah. you know? But the thing is, and you know this, you know, you're one of the hardest working dudes I've ever met. You just don't stop. Mm -hmm. and, when, and when a little spark happens, you just keep pushing, right? Right. So like this whole year, we haven't been off the road. I've been off the road for um, less than two weeks this whole year. Just because, you know, we get the offers, we just keep going, man. Well, the thing is, too, like your genre of music, like you talk about being a three-piece blues, the, the famous blues trio from Cream to Hendrix to Stevie Ray Vaughan to you name it. It's not a huge market, and you've really been able to, to break into that market. But also, too, you're very versatile where you could play with Skinner, you could play with Fozzie, you could play with Zach or Saxon, mm -hmm. and it works because it's just good rock and roll. Yeah, I, I, I feel really lucky about that, too. You know, That's the thing, though. Um, a lot of people would be like, oh, this dude, he's a, he's a blues guy, you know? And then we're playing, like we tour with Zach Wilde or, you know, touring with you guys. Right. And it's so awesome because I feel like now, especially, it's not so, you know, boxed in anymore, right. you know? And a guy like me can go and play, you know, we can tour with you guys or we go do Vakken or whatever metal festivals. Mm. And then we're gonna go on, you know, the Jericho Cruise. And then I go play with Bonamassa or I go jam with some blues guys. And it's it's kind of like it's all in the same now. It's party music to me. That's why, like, whenever we put together our, our packages, we're, you know, basically a party band. It's a heavy band, but we want people to have a great time. And I want the whole package from the first band to the last band. This tour is just the two of us. Which yes. I love, love, yes. love, love. But I want that vibe. And that's why it works, because rock and roll fans, heavy metal fans just want to have a good time. 100%, man. And I think now more than ever, they need that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? That the Absolutely. genres need it. The music, the rock in general needs that. And I feel like with you guys touring with this, but all these bands that I love and, you know, we're just trying to breathe new air into what we love. Mm -hmm. Just keep it pushing, man. Keep it partying. So where are you from? Wisconsin. Whereabouts? A. <laughs> uh, East Troy, right? 30 miles south of Milwaukee. So, so where, like, how did you basically get started like when you started playing guitar because you also play without a pick mm -hmm. which to me the only other person i've ever seen i'm sure there's a lot but Lindsay buckingham yep. instantly pops into mind yeah what was your who were your your influences and, and how did you get into playing guitar so i grew up in like an unincorporated town right so that like the nearest real town we used to ride our bikes to it was seven miles away wow yeah dude and we so used to it incorporate, like it's not even a real. It's not even a town. Yeah, there's nothing there. There's a mayor. It or just whatever. said like Spring Prairie Unincorporated. There's no business. <laughs> there's nothing. Wow. Um, funny story. Uh, where I gotta remember the guy's name. Ginger. Uh, Ginger Beaumont was a. Uh, he was a baseball player. He was the first guy to hit in the first uh, World Series ever for the Yankees. Oh wow. He lived on the property where where my parents' house was was baseball diamond he'd set up so it was in the middle of nowhere though. right so anyways field of dreams the field of dreams dude growing up in wisconsin for me was like growing up like 30 years behind so like it was great because i was hearing like classic rock on the radio and i was like man i didn't think about it like oh this was my parents music or this was you know what i mean yeah it was just like iron maiden metallic like you know you'd hear like master of puppets and it was like it was just recorded yesterday right you know i'd hear pink floyd or zeppelin or any of this stuff and it was like it was all new to me there was no one there being like oh dude that's so old so i was playing like football and doing the sports you're thing. a big guy yes what are you six four six four six, six four yeah. yeah so i was doing doing sports but all my buddies they started like slowly shifting towards music and I remember we were in eighth grade and we went to the Battle of the Bands for the high school. <laughs> and, and I saw like this junior band, they're juniors, and they were playing Sweet Leaf by Sabbath. And these dudes all had like long hair and they were all jamming and stuff. And I was like, whoa, like look at those guys, they're in a band. I was like, I wanna do that. And this is like in the 2000s, right? Yeah, this yeah. was 2000. Gotcha. Four? Gotcha. So it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I remember, um, I was like, I'm gonna be the drummer. Cause you know, every time I'd listen to like the good stuff, I'd always want to play like the Bill Ward drum fills or when I hear Rush, whatever. And I get a drum set from my brother's buddy and I bring it home. My dad's a construction worker. So I, I he comes home and I'm bam, bam, you know, trying to learn. And he walks in the basement. He's like, hell no, dude, There's no way. And I had the drums for like a week, but it was apparent like I wasn't going to be able to play them at home. So 
He goes, why don't you get a guitar? You can take it with you. All right. So I was like, all right, I'll try guitar, but everyone plays guitar. I don't want to play guitar. And uh, I'm, le I'm a lefty. So I pick up the, a righty upside down. And um, I remember they said, well, if you could learn like a riff, we'll get you an electric. Because I was like, if I'm going to play guitar, it's not going to be an acoustic, man. It's got to be an electric. So he said, if, if you learn a riff, we'll get you a real electric guitar with an amp. Within 10 minutes, dude, I had down, uh, uh, of course, Smoke on the Water, but <laughs> Electric Funeral by Black Sabbath. Oh, that's Right? And I, I walk out and I could see his face. He was like, you did that? You know? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's my first riff. I was like, I'm going to go learn some more. So like two days later, I get an electric guitar, like a, a cheap, cheap Les Paul copy, whatever. <laughs> right, right. And um, I brought it home. And I'm looking at this little amp and it was like on the clean tone. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound like Jimmy Page. And I'm like trying to turn it up and it just didn't sound right. And then there was a little button and it said like distortion. And I clicked that and all of a sudden it was like, you know, yes. And then that was when I knew I was like, that's the sound that is freedom. And I just started playing and, and learning riffs. And I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. Flash forward a week later, my mom takes me to an open blues jam. She goes, we gotta, you have to go see real musicians play. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. I was like, but I'm like 15 years old. I don't know anything. So we go like 45 minutes from my house and it was this place called the Silver Moon and they had a Sunday blues jam. We get out of the car and I hear like a harmonica like, you know, and we walk <laughs> in and it's like a stone cold blues place. We go up to the bar and she goes, oh, can we get some food menus, blah, blah, blah. And the guy's like, yeah, sure. She goes, you know, my son plays guitar. He's really good. He'd like to get on stage with the band. <laughs> oh, jeez. And I like kick her under the table. I was like, what are you doing? Like, I didn't know anything. I didn't play for a yeah. week, yeah. And uh, he goes, yeah, sure, no problem. We'll get him up. So I'm sitting there freaking out. And I was like, well, I didn't bring my guitar. I can't play. And, and he goes, we got an old, old guitar in the back. <laughs> So he brings out this guitar and I remember right before I got on stage, I went into the bathroom, washing my hands. I'm like, just stalling. And this old big blues dude comes up behind me, goes, you look scared, boy. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, think about it like this. It's like swimming. When you jump in the water, you're either going to figure it out or you're going to float to the bottom and die. <laughs> so I get on stage, dude, and I'm so nervous. And they say, we're playing a blues in E. And the only thing I knew about blues in E was that the low string was called an E string. So I was like, all right. So he starts playing. I'm going dun, dun, dun. And he goes to an A. And I was like, oh, that's the next string. So I go to that one, you know. And then so he's calling out these chords and I'm just hitting one string. And then he looks at me, he goes, take a solo. Take a solo. So I go up and I know that everything starts over at the 12th fret. So I go up there and I do the same thing. But when I was done with my solo, people started clapping. I was like 10 feet tall and bulletproof, dude. Wow. Like that was it. I was hooked. I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to play blues. Then I'm asking the guy after, I'm like, who should I listen to? He goes, oh, Junior, you got a long way to go, blah, blah, blah. He's like, you ever hear of Stevie Ray Vaughan? I was like, kind of. He goes, go watch Stevie Ray Vaughan. So I go to Walmart and they have the Live at the Elma combo tape. <laughs> the classic. I put it in. That was it, dude. His, his voice, his playing, he's obviously, we know Steve Ray's white, but he played so much like a black dude and had all of that vibe and all of that power. All of it, dude. Still, still the best. The package. Yeah. And the crazy thing, the town that I grew up in, the unincorporated town, there's a music theater there called Alpine Valley. That's where he died. Right. Yes. He died on the same street as I was grown on. You're kidding me. No, man. He, he crashed in, in a suburban area? Yes. No, it wasn't even a suburban area. Really, it was a... So it's like a man-made ski hill, and then they made this kind of amphitheater. And uh, Stevie played his last show there with Clapton, Buddy right. Guy, Jimmy Vaughn. And he, he got in Clapton's uh, helicopter after the show, and it was so foggy. Dude, that chopper went up. It hadn't even been up maybe 100 feet, and it hit the man-made ski hill and went down. No way. No yeah. kidding. Did so, you know about that when it happened? Is that how you kind of heard well, Steve? Well, I, I was only like... I oh, was that's one. right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. But uh, one of my uncles was the first responder. My brother is actually a sheriff in the town. And I remember he pulled up Stephen 
Ray Vaughn, like on the computer in the car, had all his details, you know, the death report, everything. Wow. It's just crazy because yeah. all of a sudden here I am trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. I get thrown at this blues jam and I'm like, this is amazing. I, I'd never had that feeling, right? It's like going on stage or being in that position. And then I'm watching this dude, Stevie Ray Vaughn play. And I'm like, it's like all being right in front of me, you know? And then they're like, well, you know, he, he died at Alpine right there, you know? And it was like, I'm like, man. And then I just got sucked in, dude. I was that kid like 12 hours a day. Playing. Playing, playing, playing. Is, is that why you went by Jared James Nichols? Of course, dude. Yeah. Stevie had three names. Yeah, right. A lot right. of people there, they always say that. They're like, uh, I remember the first gig I booked under my own name. I was like, I got to have three names. Jared James Nichols. That's it. <laughs> Only blues guys and serial killers. <laughs> mm -hmm. How did it come about for you to start playing without a pick? So when I first started playing, man, for years I played with a pick, right? But since I'm a lefty, it never felt like I was at home with it. Um, I always struggled to be like articulate. Like I try and play like heavier, faster stuff and it never worked. But I knew like a lot of the blues guys and a lot of that thing, they would use their fingers to get different sounds. And I remember when I tried it, I was like, dude, this is the sound I'm looking for. It's almost like a more intimate feeling. Because like with your fretting hand, there's nothing blocking you in the strings. I felt the same with my picking. Mm. And it like, it opened up a whole new kind of door. And it was funny because I only did it for myself. I never thought about it like it was gonna be a thing. And then like when I moved to LA and I was playing like, hey, you're the no pick guy. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And uh, it took on a life of its own. But the one good thing about it is um, guitar players always try and we always try and find sounds, find tones and stuff. For me, I did that as a personal thing and it, it totally changed like the course of my playing, mm. the sound, the feel, all of it. And uh, I think it brought me closer to what I love, which is great. So you mentioned moving to LA. So did you build up kind of a local, <laughs> excuse me, a local following for yourself? Mm-hmm. And then decide I gotta go bigger. Dude, does everyone know that we're on the road day five? We're both coughing. In I know, there. right? I actually just drank some coffee and it went down the wrong uh, there it is. Wrong pipes. So. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> so when I moved to LA. What made you want to move to LA? Well, I'd, I'd already, I felt like I, I had already achieved by the time I was like 18, 19, everything I could in the region. I'd played like Summerfest and the Harley rallies and, you know, I'd done all those big gigs there. Did you have people like Jared James Nichols? Is, is yeah, shit. dude. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was to the point, though, where I was like, what's next? What else can I do here? How am I going to build this? And I remember I was sitting there with, with my mom, God bless her, and she goes, maybe you need to move somewhere and try to go to like a real city to play. And it was like a conscious decision. And I was like, yeah, where would I go? I live in Wisconsin. Like, I live in the country. Like, and we both said, we were like, what about L.A.? So picture the kid getting off the bus, dude, <laughs> with like no money, a guitar. <laughs> the literal in, story. In Hollywood. I remember- Did you take a bus? No, I didn't oh. take a bus, but we rented a, a little, uh, like a little U-Haul van, because I had like uh, a bed, my guitars. Yeah. And uh, I remember going to Hollywood. The first thing that happened when I got out of the U-Haul, the it was like dusk. And all of a sudden I hear, bang, bang, bang. And I was like, what was that? My dad goes, I think that was gunshots. <laughs> and then there was, you know, just, it was, it was classic. Yeah. And uh, I remember when I moved there though, things got totally real. It was like, I was kind of, I just submerged myself. I went from being the big fish in the small pond to being the minnow in the ocean, Yeah. which was awesome. And I, I started back over and in one way it was so, it was so like healthy for me to like go there and be humbled constantly. You know, it's like, I had to start over. What was your, like, what, what was your plan of attack? Like, how do you start getting your name out there? Well, this is what happened. My plan of attack was I'll play anywhere for anyone at any time. And this is just you on your own. Me on my own. Yeah. Yep, me on my own. So after like two weeks of living in LA, I was at Guitar Center, right? And I saw a flyer for a Les Paul tribute contest. And it said, a uh, winner wins a new Gibson Les Paul uh, featuring Guitar Player Magazine, a year supply guitar strings. And I was like, I'm totally signing up. So you had to send in like a demo submission. And dude, this was in 2011. So I really didn't have anything. So I sent them 
a video of me playing back in Wisconsin. And I was like, man, I hope this works to get in. I got in. So there was 30 guys for this contest, right? The judges were like Carl Verheyen, Paul Gilbert, like Mike. Really? Like all, all, yeah. And I show up and I got my guitar and I walk in the backstage, man. And it's like Mr. Olympia for guitar. Everyone's, (laughs) you know, there's one guy with like an acoustic, like tapping and, you know, like, I'm like, oh, where am I? So I show up and they were like, okay, we got to pick numbers for who goes where. Got to pick them out of a hat. Right. And I'm like, okay. I was the first to pick. I pick 30. So I'm the last guy. So I got to sit back there for like two hours. It was like torture listening to all these guys go. (laughs) So it was a Les Paul tribute contest. That's another weird thing about my story is uh, I never knew my grandpa, but he knew Les Paul. There were kids at the same time, Waukesha, wow. Wisconsin. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. You, a lot, you were destined to be. No, I don't know if I was destined or I got lucky. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was a Les Paul tribute. So I was like, man, I'm going to go do my blues thing. But then I'm going to play a Les Paul song at the end, like a little melody. So we go and I, I go up and I play and I do, I'm doing my thing. And I, I like had the room because everyone was playing super fast, super crazy stuff. And then I went up there and I just was playing some serious blues stuff. And then I go into the Les Paul thing and everyone loved it. And I was like, man, maybe I did pretty good. Top three. That'd be amazing. So they bring everyone out on stage. They got the guitar. Everyone's there ready to like, you know, yeah. and uh, they said, and the winner is Jared Nichols, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> holy crap. Right. So I won. And um, that moment was like the moment that propelled everything. One of the guys that was a judge, his name's Phil. And he owns a studio in LA called Swing House. So we're at this dinner afterwards and he goes, hey man, when can I hear your band? I was like, dude, I just moved here, I don't have one. He goes, do you sing? I was like, a little bit. I try and sing like Steve Ray, you know? Yeah. And he goes, do you have songs? I'm like, not really, no. <laughs> and he goes, well, check this out. He goes, I got a studio here in Hollywood. Why don't you get some guys, come over and you can come and jam. Really? Yeah. He goes, come for a tour next week. So I go and meet with him. And the first person I see when I'm walking in is Manson, Marilyn Manson. And I was like, whoa. Like, and it was a real studio. And I was like, I can come in here and play? He's like, yeah, come in on Sunday. You know, come in the off times. So lo and behold, I get Dennis, who's the drummer now, and his Swedish buddy, Eric. I was like, guys. Where'd you, where'd you see them? I saw them at the, the school there, Musicians Institute. Oh, okay. they, were, they were studying there and I met them there. Were you, were you studying there too? I went there for six months. Man. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so I meet them and we go to this studio and we start jamming. And this Phil guy is like, come back whenever you want, you know? So we keep going back, keep going back. And then he goes, man, you guys are sounding pretty good. We should get you a gig. So he got us a gig at the Viper Room. Wow. Like opening on a Monday. Nice. We go to the Viper Room and the booker there, Dale, she loves us. She goes, why don't you guys play every Monday for the next month? So we start playing there every Monday for the next month. And then uh, we get a gig. Where do we get a gig? Somewhere. Oh, it was uh, that... Uh, Stagecoach Country Music Festival. We got a gig like at an after party. So we drove all the way out there from LA to play for free to like five people. Right. But we kept going and going. And um, organically, this guy, Phil, like I'd get a gig and he'd be like, oh, here's the gear, or, you know, here's a van. And uh, now. believed in you. Yeah. And now we've built this whole thing up from there to now, which is eight years later. So amazing though. I love hearing kind of how it's. The, I have to tell this quick story. When I talked to Vivian Campbell on the show, he said when Dio was auditioning guitar players, and obviously it's 1982 LA, everybody was coming out and just shredding, shredding, shredding. Right. And he said he did all of his shredding stuff. And then Dio said, well, What else can you do? He's like, Well, all my tricks are gone. So I just started playing Chuck Berry riffs. And Dio said afterwards, That's when you, I knew you got the gig wasn't about this. It was yep. about your feel and your... For and, sure. And, your, and just like you said with, with, with playing the Les Paul song, yeah. you did exactly opposite of what every single guy did, which has also helped you kind of stand out to this day where we're here. Yeah, and I think that that's, that's been... Um, the thing is, I, I never... I just always care more about the feel of the music and about the, the vibe and the soul behind it. I was never like trying to play fast or like, you know, like, a competition guy like although lo and behold the competition was the you know yeah, sure, sure, sure. but when i thought about guitar i thought like stevie the blues guys like they were feeling it like i want to feel everything you know and I, I want that vibe and when i moved to la 
I kind of looked around and I went, man, there's not a lot of guys doing that. Right. Especially young guys. Yeah. It was almost as if the feel was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, mm. You know, we're, we're, we're interested in who's going to play the fastest or, you know, who's the heaviest guitar player. And for me, it was like, no, man, I don't want to do that. And um, I stuck out like a sore thumb. And I think that that was one That's of the it. reasons. Yeah. You did something different. Yeah. You know, you said something earlier. She needs to be a title of a song, 10 foot tall and bulletproof. That's it. If dude. that's not a blues song, I don't know what it that's is. That's it. Right? Yeah, for sure. So tell, tell me about the first tour that you had. Okay. The first tour. So the first real tour that we had, cause we did all these little runs. Like we do a weekend run. Like I was saying, like we'd go to Vegas and then to San Diego and LA and we'd play like these places dude we used to play like retirement homes what? i'm not even joking like wow. we get we get booked by a guy would hit me up in indiana and be like hey man i want to book you four shows and this was like early days like facebook style it's like yeah that'd be great he goes okay here's the first place we played a place once in greenfield indiana called carla's country cafe it was a cafe inside of a retirement home <laughs> Check this out. We show up, three dudes, and we're listening to like Hendrix. You know, we're we're bombing in this van. We show up, dude, and we get there, and it's all like eighty-five plus. Wow. And we show up, and they're like, "Yeah, you guys can set up in the corner," and we're in like a retirement home. And we, the, she introduces us, and she says, "This is James Jared, and he's here to play you guys some songs. And anything you request, he's gonna play for you." Jeez Louise! <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing someone says, "Play Johnny Cash." It was like Blues Brothers on the wor weirdest, <laughs> horrible level, dude. Did you play Johnny Cash? Yeah, we did uh, the worst version of uh, uh, what's the what, Ghost Right? Yeah, oh, I, uh, yeah. Ring of Fire. Or Ring of, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd play anywhere, man. Did like, you get a good reaction at the retirement home? Oh yeah. Yeah. They gave us pie afterwards. <laughs> I swear to God. Dude, Dennis, who's a drummer still now, who's been through all this stuff with me, he's looking at me and he's got the biggest grin on his face at, at the at the retirement home. And I was like, and we took a pie to go. It was so stupid, dude. That's great, though, man. It was hilarious. Oh, that's great. Um, but so, but when, so you were just basically playing anywhere that you, you could go. Yeah. And then we got this message on Facebook from a guy in the, the Netherlands. And he said, hey, man. I love what you do, blues rock forever. Uh, I have a, a company with vans and gear and I wanna book you a tour in, in Europe. This was at the beginning of 2014. We're like, yeah, that'd be cool. So we actually figure it out and we buy tickets to Europe. Totally asked my mom for money, you know, like yeah. classic. We go to Europe, right? And we meet this guy at the airport. He's booked us now like 34 shows in like 36 days. <laughs> We show up and the first show's in Belgium at this place called Bada Bang. We walk in and it's like a coffee bar, right? But with a little stage. And we walk in and he's like, oh yeah, you know, there's a, a green room upstairs. You guys can hang out till the show. And we're in this green room and we look down and there's a line of people to come in this cafe to watch us play. And we're like, what are all these people doing here? And he's like, oh, they're here to see you. Blues rock, blues rock, man, you know? And we're like, okay, so we play and the place is packed. And over there, like, they didn't get the memo that, you know, we were playing to nobody at a, <laughs> at a uh, you know, retirement home. So all of a sudden we did this crazy awesome tour across Europe, 34 shows. And the guy goes, When's the, when do you want to do the next one? We're like, let's set it up. So now you're making some money too, right? Yeah, it was, it went so well. It was like one of those situations when I think back at it, you know, like you always have to just keep taking risks no matter what. That's the only way. That's the only way I ever see like progress. It's like when you go out of your element. You're like, yeah, let's do this. Mm -hmm. So we go over to Europe, three dudes, and we're just like, we don't know if we're gonna come back a lot. Whatever. Right. We're gonna do it, and we did it, and it was awesome. And then flash forward, that was when the Skinner thing happened. A few months later, we're in the parking lot, and I said, they said, well, what, what are you doing? Where are you touring? I was like, well, we just did this awesome Europe tour. Yeah. And then they say, well, we're going to Europe. You should do some shows with us. Obviously, blues rock, it's such an American thing and also a very British thing mm -hmm. via America. But why, why so popular? Like you mentioned Belgium, you said Egypt. Like, what is it about your sound that, that translates to a European audience? Well, the funny thing, the best compliment I ever got, you'll laugh at this, is uh, a guy comes up to me and he goes, Jared, when I hear you play, it's like eagles fly out of your speakers. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> I think that 
first off, I really truly believe that guitar, rock and roll, blues rock, this whole thing that we love is timeless. Yeah. I really do I believe that. I agree with that. you. I, you know, no matter how many times, you and I sitting in the bus listening to stuff. Yeah. It's timeless, man. And I, I feel like the rest of the world, they have such an appreciation for it. You know, in, in America, I feel like they got jaded real quick, mm. especially with blues rock stuff, because it was like, yeah, 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 you go to any club in the South, there's some guy playing Pride and Joy or Texas Flag. Right, 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 you know? right, right. <clears throat> But I think that over there, there's more of an appreciation for all arts. And the thing that I noticed especially is rock and roll and guitar. To them, it is as fresh as anything, and they love it. Now, I don't know exactly why, but they love it. Here I am in Cairo, or I'm in Dubai. And in Cairo, we had like... It was just me showing my guitar and amp, doing a jam with like local musicians there. There was over 500 people there. Wow. They showed up because there was, a, there was an American blues rock guitar player mm. there. I think a lot of these places too, they, they just are, you know, no one goes there sometimes. So it's like when this stuff comes, sure. it's like, it's a big deal. But, but like you said, it's, it's universally translates. Like if you're at a party, I always say this, and you have... Black dudes, white dudes, hot chicks, young chicks, old chicks, whoever. If, there, if you took a cross section and you were trying to figure out what music to put on, if you put on ACDC, yep. everyone would be into it. It'd work. You know, if you went to a Vegas pool, like the encore pool with LA plays that rave shit, mm -hmm. if you put ACDC on, people have just as much fun. Because yep. that translates, it's just four on the floor blues, yep. rock and roll. And the more I play and the more I travel and, you know, jamming with like, like you guys, like, most people would think to themselves, you know, Fozzie, me opening for Fozzie, they're like, how does that work? And I'm like, it's amazing. Yeah. Because Fozzie fans totally get it. Right. They get it because it's not so cut and dry anymore. It's like, yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? It's it, like I said, it, it's, it's a party sound, but it's great guitar. Great. Like your voice is killer too, man. Like I was saying to, um, who was I talking to? Gary Holt. Oh yeah. He's a big fan. Gary. Of Gary. Great guy. Great guy. And, uh, uh, we were just talking. I said he's a, like a combination of Stevie Ray and Zach with vocals of Doug Pinnock from King's I X. I love that, dude. Like, you really have that soulful voice, too. And you're funny because you said, like, when someone asked you if you sing, you said a little bit. Like, yeah. you have to sing if you're a blues man. That was the thing, too. When, when I started the trio, you know, where I was like, I want to be in a trio. And it's like, why? Clapton, Jimmy, yeah. all, yeah, all of Stevie my heroes. Ray, yeah. And even you go into Rush and the police, and yeah. like all great bands are so trios. trios. Yeah. And then they go, well, who's going to sing? And I'm like, I have to sing. Yeah, you have to. I have to. It it's wouldn't be it. the same if you didn't. No, it would you not. Know? And uh, I think also another thing is like, it's just so great for me to be able to travel and like tour with you guys and just keep pushing, pushing mm. it forward, you know? Yeah. Because like when I meet people, it's not as if they look at us or look at me like I'm trying to be someone from the 70s or something you know it's like we're trying to just do it right now it's like like i said there's a timeless element to all this stuff and uh i'm just happy to be out playing it did you um when you, you talked about uh playing with skinnard did you get a chance to talk to gary and ricky and, oh yeah yeah dude gary's daughter's on tour with him right singing no just just oh, like singing, helping. Gotcha. and uh she goes my dad won't stop watching your videos in the bus That's when cool. we're over there. And I'm like, really? And then I see him and he's like, you did this one thing, man. Where you? And I'm thinking to myself, I've been in a lot of situations like that where it's like heroes, genuine heroes. And I'm sitting there showing Gary Rosington how I played this lick. And you're like, is this real life? Yeah, you know? this work. I've, that's another thing that has genuinely blown my mind. Even for me sitting here with you, as a young budding wrestling fan, dude. Mm. That was my era, dude. That's cool, man, yeah. I'm just saying like, I get to meet and see and, and be around all these people that I've respected my whole life. Or heroes, you know? Tell, tell us who just gave you a call the other day. Yeah. Love them, hate them, whatever you guys want. I love them, so. Yes. Yeah. Ted Nugent. I wake up on the bus the other morning and uh, I have about six text messages. And I said, hey man, I just gave Ted Nugent your number. Then my manager, Ted Nugent's calling you. And then I have like two missed calls from a, a unknown number or whatever, you know. 
And I'm like, what is it? I'm just trying to wake up and wrap my head around it. What is happening? Who? Yeah, yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. The Ted Nugent. The Ted Nugent. Is this Edward Nugent, a bill collector? Dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> the funny part is, is when we play and when we're on tour, everyone comes up to me. Has anyone ever told you you look like Ted Nugent? <laughs> no, never heard it. You know, and uh, 1978. Ted exactly. Nugent, yeah. And uh, it's funny because I've been compared to Ted every day since I've been playing, and it's awesome. And it even went to the point when we were like touring with Zach. Like we would do stranglehold in its entirety, just to be like, you know what? It. Yeah, it is, embrace you know? it. Yeah, yeah. So um, the I'm, other day we're in San Diego. You guys are sound checking, and I get a call, unknown number, and uh, hello. Hey, I'm looking for Jared James Nichols. This is Uncle Ted, <laughs> and I'm just like, holy crap! <laughs> and he goes, I just want to salute you for waving the rock and roll flag for everyone. He goes, all of us that have been there who are there, who are going to be there. And we talked for like an hour. That's great. And it was awesome. And he was so cool. And like, he's like, I'm sitting here right now with my Gibson Birdland. And, and I just kept thinking to myself, man, some of these moments, like money can't buy, you That's know, right. like, like these are things I'll remember forever. Yeah. Like when I was at that studio in Hollywood, we're jamming in there one night. Lo and behold, the door opens and it was late at night. And I hear, who the hell are you? And I was like, who is that? Steven Tyler. And he goes, hey man, you know, we're, we're jamming, he's talking, whatever. And, uh, and he goes, hey, we're making a record in the back. You should come hang out. And I hung out with Aerosmith for like three months, dude. <laughs> Sitting there with, you know, Joe Perry and- See, but they would respect you because they're a blues band too. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's the common thread I feel like between all of us is first off the love of the music and then the, you know, the respect that we're still here today, like, just kicking it. So you're hanging out for three months for Aerosmith. There must be some stories from that. Dude, all the stories. <laughs> well, the best part for me was I had like zero money. So Steven would just say, yeah, come to the studio, man. The studio would be open at like 1130 in the morning till about three at night. I'd go there all day. I'd eat. <laughs> you know what I mean? Day. Like, and, and hang out. And I was like a fly on the wall. Watch, literally watching him make the record. That was the music from another dimension. Mm. And um, stories, yeah, Steven kicking my butt on vocals and you know sing it like this sing it like that you know and uh you know sitting there with joe perry and and then having joe loan me guitars i didn't have any good guitar you know i had nothing all of a sudden play this one old les paul stuff like that and then flash forward meeting one of joe's sons tony and uh, he's right around my age and we made the, my last record at johnny depp's house no kidding through the whole connection you know it's like wow. this whole it's like I can literally go back and be like, yeah, that moment when I met him, you know, we sparked a friendship and that took us here or that, you know, and I just feel like none of this would have happened if I wouldn't have gotten in that car from Wisconsin. Yeah, well, that's the truth. Right. It's probably like you with it's everything. A, I left my house in, in Winnipeg to drive to Calgary for, for wrestling school at 19 and it sucked. Like I had no, you leave your whole friends, your whole family everything. behind. I didn't know anyone in Calgary. First day, you meet a bunch of you know miscreants that are in this wrestling camp, and you're on your own, kid. Yep. The world doesn't owe you a damn thing. That's right. But if you want to go and, and make this happen, you got to take a chance. And I think that uh, everyone always, you know, because because like you said, there's a buzz now, right? And I think it's funny because a lot of people I meet now that are really respected or like that I really look up to, they're like, they they're just trying to wrap their head around it. Like, so what's up? What's your what's this guy's mm. deal? You know. And it's like the deal is just taking every tour, every chance, every opportunity and really just leaving the whatever. Yeah. Let's just go. The thing that's cool, too, is like and I'm saying this the, the, from being with you for weeks on end, you're legit a nice guy, very charismatic. And you just happy to be there, which is such a great so happy, attitude dude. to have, you know, so happy to be in 2019 rolling down the road in a tour bus with Chris Jericho and Fozzie <laughs> kicking ass every night. Yeah. You know, like to me, like this is priceless. Like, like we've talked about this too, but like at the end of the day, it's, this isn't a, a money, like it's not a money, th it's none of that. This is, this is for the love yes. of uh, what we're, what we're if doing. If you enjoy what you're doing, you're good at it and you're doing it for the right reasons, you'll make the money that, that will come, Yep. you know, it's already coming. But if you're doing it for the money, it never goes that way. hundred percent, man. And, mm. and you know, we, we talk about it all the time, but all the guys that we look up to, you know, it's like, I am just so happy, like I said, to be playing 
blues rock and roll and to be kicking ass on a guitar every single night around the world. Yeah, I'm gonna ask you about a couple of the tours. How was it for you touring with like two new wave of British heavy metal legends, the UFO and Saxon? How did Incredible. that audience? How did that audience take you? They loved it. Yeah, they loved it. You know, uh, having the the Shanker lineage and having the Saxon, all that stuff. Good point. Yeah, they loved it. I would go out there. This is the best part about my life is most people are like, who is this guy? You know, and to rightfully so. And they show up, arms crossed. Low expectations, show. yeah. Yeah, and they go, what's this kid gonna do, you yeah. know? And every night I go out there swinging. And at those shows especially, because it was usually, it was, it was me, Saxon, UFO. So Saxon would go out there and annihilate. Heavy, great live band. Heavy, yeah. great live. They killed it every night. So we would go out there right before them. And I was like, this is my duty to go out there just swinging, flamethrowing with the guitar, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was excellent, man. There's so many, and the best part is, like even on this tour, I have people, first time I saw you was with UFO and Saxon, you know? And it's like, that's the thing too. The, the fans, the people that really love this like we do, lifers, mm -hmm. you know? But I mean, hanging out with Biff and, and those guys, classic, dude. <laughs> those guys are hilarious. Classic ball busters and classic. You're dealing with busters. guys that have been on the road for 40 years. They, yes. You know, they got to keep themselves entertained. But they must laugh when they see a guy like me that's all bright eyed and bushy tailed, like, hey, hey, guys. <laughs> Biff's like, oh, this is an easy target. <laughs> It's great. But I mean, and then you're talking about, you know, Vinnie Moore and like and Paul Quinn, very underrated guitar player. There's, to go in there knowing that you got some, some some shredders, but you're once again, you're different. Yeah. And hanging out with Vinnie Moore. Vinnie was funny. He would always bust my balls. He'd go, just keep making those faces. You know, <laughs> he's like, they're just watching your face anyways, you know. <laughs> but uh, I've been so lucky, dude, to be surrounded by so many great guitar players. Vinnie Moore, Paul Quinn, um, Zach. Uh, touring with like John Five and how was it touring with Zach? How did you get that gig? So that was hilarious. So going back to the Skinner stuff, there's this company called Uprocks, and they were making like mini series documentaries, and Honda was one of the sponsors. It's a website, right? Yeah, website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they made this mini documentary about me in 2015, about like the struggle. It was like us in a van going to Austin to play for no one, and then like the triumphant jamming with Skinner. And it was real. It was like a real part of my life. Right. And uh, Zach's manager, so this came out on like a Monday at 9 a.m. I, I get a text, hey, your video's live. Dude, then like the first hour, it had like 100,000 views. And then I kept refreshing it and it kept going up. And I think it ended up getting almost like 10 million hits. Yeah. And it was amazing. But I remember the next morning, like me and my, my, my girlfriend, Amanda, we were watching it. We were like reeling. We were like, this is crazy. Like kept refreshing it. Like my Facebook would kept getting more <laughs> Facebook and all this stuff. And um, the next morning I get a call. Hey man, this is Zach Wild. His manager, Blasco, saw that video and forwarded it to Zach. And they were like, man, this guy would be great for Zach's upcoming six month tour for Book of Shadows too. Gotcha. And he's so straight up called. And he was like, hey man, it's pretty awesome. You know, we'd love to have you on this tour. And I was like, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. So that was, that was insane. We did, we started in England in the, uh, the beginning of April and it ended in August in LA. Was he doing like an, an acoustic thing for that? It was like an acoustic electric thing. It was like, I would say it was full band, but it was, it was rocking, but it was more on like the Zach book of shadows like that acoustic rock sure, sure, you know sure, sure. which i love and uh it was amazing dude i remember right when i met zach we were in london got off the plane went straight to the venue and all of a sudden i hear boom 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 you know and he walks up he's like hey man what's up glad you're here and i was like fuck dude zach wild <laughs> you know i remember being at Ozfest, like 12 years old watching zach and um when we go for sound check i hear the boots again and they're like we're ready for guitar and he's just waiting, arms crossed, waiting to hear me play. Like, what's this kid got? And then we're doing our set, and lo and behold, dude, I see someone behind the amps with their phone. He's filming me. And I was like, oh, what is happening? Mm. You know? And uh, we had a really good time, man. Zach totally took me under his wing. He uh, hooked me up with a bunch of guitars and all this crazy stuff. Like, yeah, it, it was... Uh, 
an, an experience I'd never forget. So now, now when you have, you know, we're talking about these, these tours and all this stuff. So what, what's kind of coming up for you? Like you're, cause now you're building your brand. Now yes. you're not, you're not the, the, the bushy eyed, you know, young oh, guy. For sure. big, like now you actually have a little bit of, yes. of, of blues power behind you. I got the blues power behind me. What's next? Making a really kick-ass record mm. for me. Songs, mm -hmm. songs making, cause that's the thing that we love, you know? Um, I'm I'm fairly confident now. Well, obviously because I'm crazy too. I will tour until I can. Great, but I really want to have the right material, the right songs, and like we all do, you know. I I just want great songs, man. So I'm really focusing on that for the next record, and just building the brand, you know, like playing kick-ass blues rock and roll, and taking all that music that I love, the Stevie, like all of that, and just continuing it now. Because that's the thing, I look around, there's not a lot of guys that are ready to put it all out on the table. And it's like, for me now, we're going on like three and a half, four years of solid touring and finally starting to get that, the wheels turning. Now I want to push, I want to push harder. Mm. You know, great record, just keep touring and um, keep building the brand, man. Bigger, stronger, faster. Because when you look at um, like someone like Bonamassa, who you mm -hmm. mentioned, uh, he's really got a down pad of kind of building this whole empire yeah. where the majority of people are like who the hell is this guy 100% but he's thousands of fans that show up to every gig that he plays know exactly who he is and spend a lot of money on him see that's the crazy part too and a lot of people say well who's your label who's who do you who do you have doing this for you the reality is me like I'm doing it my manager's doing it my bandmates on the road that's it we have are you on a label no, no label right now. So you just put out the records Yeah, we, on your we own? did uh, our first two records. We had um, a small deal with a French label called Listenable. And um, that was awesome. That was great. And now now we have no label. We're putting out music on iTunes and, you know, it's buying amazing. CDs, doing it the old-fashioned way. Gotcha. You know? But even CDs at this point, it's almost irrelevant. You know it really I mean? is. Like if you're streaming in digital and on iTunes mm -hmm. and on Spotify, then yep. you got a record deal. And that's it. <clears throat> and I, I think that a lot of people, they don't understand that it's still in this world if you want something done, you just do it yourself, right? Mm. And uh, it fascinates people. Like I was with Joe and he goes, first, first thing he asked me the other day, so how many shows have you done this year? And I was like, geez, if you count it up, probably around about 275. This, like in 2019? Yeah. How many days has there been? <laughs> Not even. 90? <laughs> Dude, literally almost every single day, show, a clinic, some something, almost every single day. And uh, that's the way we're going to build it. You know what I mean? That's the way I see it. And then if the time ever comes where someone else could come in to help and, you know, but... It's like you, you built your empire, you built it, you know, mm -hmm. it's you. Right, And right. Uh, And I, I take pride in that, man. And, uh, you know, we just keep cooking it, man. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. When you're talking about some of the, like you mentioned some of your influences, who else is there besides Stevie Ray? Oh my goodness. So like all the blues guys, right? All those blues guitar players, like obviously like B.B. King, Albert King, Muddy Waters, Howlin' Wolf, like all that stuff, of course. But then... You know, going the other side, Eddie, Dimebag, you know, uh, I mean, I grew up listening to like Metallica, you know, like all those guys, mm -hmm. huge influences. Anyone that means it when they play, anyone that puts it all out, you know, that's, that's my stuff. And like, I even have like, you know, influences that people probably wouldn't even think about, but like, you know, old country stuff. You know, I listen to everything, man. Like some of those country guys are pretty badass. We went to the Grand Ole Opry last year and Ricky Skaggs was playing. It's oh like, goodness. holy shit. The guy was amazing. Those guys are no joke. Yeah. Talk about playing for real. I just moved to Nashville from LA. Wow. And it's funny though, we moved. I was there for three days and I came to hook up with you guys. Yeah. Um, but we went out the first night and it was like 4.30. We were at Robert's Western World, 4.30 on a Sunday. And then some guy walks in and I'm watching him and he pulls out his telly out of his bag and he starts playing and he smokes it. And I'm like, look at this guy. First guitar player I see moving to town and he's killing it on a telly. You know, all the old honky tonk stuff. 
man, those country guys are no joke. Yeah, well, when you go to Nashville and you hang out on any of the, that street, whatever this big street is uh, there. Broadway. Broadway, and then you walk into, like you said, a club. I, I, I text Rich when he was there. I said, every musician in this place, we should be carrying their gear. Seriously. Like, they're all just killers. Killers. Girls and guys alike. Killers. Um, you know, but then I ask, if I talk to them, I'm like, so do you tour? They're like, nope, this is where we play. You yeah. Know? So that's it's, their, it's a total yeah, different world. When you talk about the old blues guys as, as we start to wind down here, um, it's almost like the cliche, like Howlin' Wolf and Muddy Waters. What is it about those guys that are so, like I'm not, my definition of blues is Stevie Ray yeah, and yeah. Jimmy and those guys. Yeah. Going back further, I just never got to that point. Yeah. I know the Stones, like Keith Richards loves those guys. Right, what right. is it about those guys that, that, <clears throat> that, that, you, that you love as well as a young guy? What I think it is, is it's obviously way, way, way before any of my time or your time or anything, but right. it's, it's the honesty it's the the reality like to those guys they were creating it firsthand like there's an old saying muddy waters in, invented electricity you know because he was the first guy to put a telecaster into an amp and play blues like he was one of the first pioneers of that sound to me when i hear that old blues stuff it's like the art form is so like and it sounds cheesy it's it's so soulful and it's like when you hear those guys play, even if it's out of tune, beat up on the cheapest guitar in the world, they're still putting everything they got into it. And when, when I listen to like Albert King or BB King or any of those guys, you know, the next era, they're the guys that directly influenced Jeff Beck, Hendrix. Mm. You know, that's the, you know, digging deeper. When I remember when I, when I got into Hendrix and I heard him play Catfish Blues, I was like, what is this song? And I look back, I'm like, oh, that's a Muddy Waters song. And then I listen to Muddy play, and I was like, oh, this is like, this is like the caveman version of that. You know what I mean? Mm. And not in a bad way, but you know, you hear the the roots of where that came from. And you know, digging deeper into Muddy, it was like that music is so deep and it's so soulful. I don't I don't know how to explain it, man. But when I hear it, it's just like you feel it. I feel it. Yeah, I feel it, and it's something that is now uh you know i think that we can only listen back because that whole era of of blues that's gone you know that's that's right. like a, it's gone you know it's, uh, it's a great clip of the stones probably i don't know 1965 maybe and they played like well, let's say the ed sullivan show or whatever it was and then muddy waters played it and the stones were all sitting like on the stage clapping along while he was playing obviously they use their influence to get them on right now here we are in 2019 the stones are now an old blues band yeah dude you know obviously they're more than that but like they've become the new version of like you said this last mm -hmm. link to the old blues it's true you know you would be great opening for the stones because they oh. have different guys in every city yep. that you would just fit right in with that crowd and i think that that's mm -hmm. so important in that um like they are the last link yeah and it's like Every time one of our heroes or these legends go yeah. down, so is a direct piece of history. Yeah. Yes. So it is. It's kind of heavy when you think of it like that. But I mean, yeah, it's like it's like my fascination with Clapton. It's like I've never met him, but he's another one of those guys. It's like one of the links. And I, I remember I got to meet Johnny Winter and I've got, met Trower and I've met Leslie West and all these other guys. But like, you know, some of these guys like Keith and Mick and, you know, even Steven and all these guys, they're the last link. So yeah. it's very, it's very important. Oh yeah. We even like, talking about Clapton cause he, he he's not playing anymore. Right. He has he, to stop. He, he doesn't, he just did their, they just did crossroads, the big festival. But yeah, as far as I know, he's not playing much anymore. Yeah. I saw him and uh, actually Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden videoed it, Clapton and Frampton on stage yep. together. Cause Frampton's on his last tour as well. Dude, I jammed with Frampton in January. No kidding. And Billy Gibbons. What, where? Uh, in Anaheim, there was a big Gibson Nam? event. Yeah, they had a big Gibson event. And I remember I walk on stage and I, Billy Gibbons is staring in the line of sight. And then at the end, other end of the stage is Peter Frampton with his three pickup Les Paul. And he gives me a bow like, hello. <laughs> and I just said, all right, I'm good, man. <laughs> that that free forgot was easy top being a great three piece oh, blues God. band. Billy, Billy must have loved you too. Billy was great. Yeah, it was great. It's always funny, though, when I play for some of these guys. You know, because to me, it's like I've been such a disciple of all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, there's Billy Gibbons watching me play. 
I'm like, man, I wonder if he likes it. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously he did. And that's, that's yeah, all that matters. That's all that matters. Um, so for the rest of the year, what do you do after this tour now? First time ever to China and Japan. And tell me about that a bit. Like, yeah, that's like, that's a hard nut to break to break as well. Is that another American blues guy comes to town? Yeah, there's that whole side of it. And then there's the guitar side with like Gibson and um, Black Star, the amps that I use. There's a huge music show in China and they're flying me there to play. So like, that's my first entrance. And then while we're over there, we hooked up with a few gigs in Japan. So I don't know what to expect, man, but I'm excited. You mentioned having your own model, signature model with Gibson. That's yeah. huge. Oh man, huge, big milestone, like a big, I remember that was when I called my parents. And I was like, hey, I'm getting my own guitar. They're like, what do you mean? Uh -huh. I was like, they're making me a signature guitar. It's really cool, man. How does that work? Are you involved like in the specifics of it? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's different about your Gibson than another Gibson? So the cool part is it's based on a guitar that I had already been playing. Um, the big difference is it's a standard black Les Paul Custom, but I modded it. Like I took pieces off, you know, because I was playing with my fingers and doing different stuff. So it only has one pickup, whereas most have two or three. And uh, people started seeing that and they're like, what's up with this guitar, you know? And uh, it grew and grew to the point where Gibson was getting calls weekly. Hey, can I order a guitar like Jared's? And they're like, what's up with this guy? And I remember it was last summer I was at the NAMM show and they said, we want to make your guitar. And I said, what do you mean? Like make it, make a few? Like, no, we want to make you a signature model. And to me, I only see those for like the real guys. Yeah. Like yet again, I feel like I got pretty pretty damn lucky. Yeah. Um cuz you know, I'm not Joe Perry, I'm not Slash, but they saw enough in what I'm doing and and the the hard work and the growth to say maybe we'll give this guy a model, which is But crazy. they they need a guy like you though in this day and age like you mentioned because every generation has mm -hmm. and like you said, I know you're very humble and and you're not there yet, but you're definitely on the way to be the Stevie Ray, the Hendrix, the, the, the Clapton, you need this, yes. especially guitar uh, companies because so many kids aren't playing guitar anymore. For sure. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's like they're playing video games or going to DJ sets and all this stuff. So a guy like you to come out who's still, what are you, 30? 30. I mean, that's, you've appealed to that demographic. Yeah, man. So I'm just really honored, dude. Yeah. And uh, I want to, uh, you know, do everything I can to, keep what we love and what I love, you know, in the forefront as much as possible and just keep killing it. Last couple of questions for you. When you talk about Steve Ray Vaughan, <laughs> what do you feel is his, uh, his best, his best solo? Oof. Now we're going deep. Yeah. <sighs> He's got so many, you know, so many, like, what are some of your favorites? Well, like the thing about Stevie was a lot of people peg him as just a straight blues guy, but then you listen to like Lenny, yeah. Right. Or like yeah. Riviera Paradise. Mm. These crazy, soulful, almost jazzy. Right. You know, like listening to Lenny, anything off El Combo, but listening to Lenny, that's one of my favorites. Obviously, Texas Flood. Texas Flood is like, it's like a, a standard, like, a, yeah. you know, when you when you hear that or, or when I would hear some of the craziest stuff was like Rude Mood which was an instrumental, really fast instrumental. He just had it all. He had such great pop sensibilities too. He's a lot like Rush in that you don't take your girl to a Rush show because it's like, oh my God, they don't get it. But then you put on, you know, Limelight and everyone likes it. Stevie had Cold Shot and he had, exactly. you know, all those type of tunes. You can exactly. put it on and you're like, wow, this is this is really, really cool pop songs. And there's a lot of guitar players that like um, only appeal to guitar players. Yeah. Stevie had the sense of Yeah, and you have to appeal to everybody yep. if you really want to get to that next level. For sure, right? man. That's the, the tough question, though. I mean, when he did Voodoo Child. Oh, or that, like, Little Wing. All that stuff. Dude. Yeah, and then you still got the Houses of Rock and like all those type of tunes, <laughs> Crossfire. Like, those are radio songs. When, when I listen to Stevie now, it's like, he's one of the rare guys when I hear it. I hear different stuff every time, too. Mm. You know, he's, he's a deep player, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. Uh, and last question, what's your favorite song to play live Oof. of your tunes? Um, of my tunes? We, well, we got this new song, Nails in the Coffin. Great song. Different. Super blues. Super bluesy. Yeah. Slow. Slow. But heavy. Usually, when I go out on stage, it's like a boxing match, right? I'm trying to hit everybody really hard. <laughs> but then once we get to that tune in the set, it's like the the weight. You know, it's it's heavy, like we said. It's it's slower. It's it, There's a lot more dynamic. That's probably one of my favorites to play. Um 
otherwise, you know, I, I love just tearing it up. Honey, forgive me. I like that tune. Yeah. I actually did a takeover in Tucson and they said, pick four songs. I played that one. With Thank one you, of brother. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have tunnel vision. I don't know about you, but I get tunnel vision on stage, man, where I just, I get so into it. You know, I love playing all the stuff, but those are probably my favorite too. Awesome, man. Well, it's awesome to have you. I'm excited that you're going to be on the cruise. Oh, Keep dude, the party going. Talk about it. The oh cruise. yeah. This is your first cruise. Yeah. It's my second. We did so, monsters of rock, okay. um, which was great, but, I already know after hanging with you and just being in the environment, I'm in for the cruise of a lifetime, dude. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> we had a blast in Vegas at the after party. Absolutely, great, we man. did. Yeah. That's what I like, too. You actually like to have a couple of drinks. A lot of guys don't nowadays. so I love to have a good time all the time. Yeah, have a good time all the That's time. That's it, man. Thanks, dude. Thank you, brother. All right, man.